I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Kris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. How is it going? I hope it's good. Right? It's a beautiful day here. Yeah, we got a nice walk in, Mm -hmm. take the dog out. I'm Diana. I'm Eli. And thanks as always, for joining us at Ridiculous Romance. Yes. We've got a wild one today. Oh, yeah. Took this me is... into the world of pro wrestling, which I have you don't I spend know very a lot of time little about. Yeah, yeah, I don't know much about it. Yeah, I've not seen you uh, spend too much time there. Uh, you, you're not time. really uh, a ringhead. <laughs> I don't know. I made that. <laughs> I don't know what they call it. I'm not either. <laughs> I don't think they call it that. But, you know, feel free to dial in. <laughs> yeah. Let us know what you call yourselves. Man, I have some people who are very into pro wrestling. Yeah. And I'll say that I was definitely, when I was younger, it was one of those things where I was like, that is the stupidest thing. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you care about it. That's outrageous. You know it's fake, right? And like really tried to burst everyone's bubble. Right. And now here I am like, well, the thing is that when Thanos first came to Wakanda, <laughs> then, you know, and it's like exactly the same thing, right? It's just mythology sure, and yeah. characters and right. this whole dense storyline being told across multiple uh, media 
yeah, it's it's actually kind of cool. I don't follow it, but I think it's neat. I know. I, I got a, a an appreciation for it, certainly. Yeah. At some point, I think when I worked, I my one of my first jobs was at Suncoast Motion Picture Company. Uh-oh. If anyone don't, remembers uh, that place. Don't date yourself or I anything. Know, I'm definitely dating myself. Back in 1941. Yeah. <laughs> I at worked the, at the Suncoast. Just across from the Hot Topic. At a place called the Mall. <laughs> Uh, okay, it was actually Grandma. across from a Wilson's Leather, so... Oh, wow, even better. <laughs> oh, what a mall. Even better. Those that was definitely days. classic mall. Kids, you just up. don't understand. What was funny is it was literally right down the street from a Best Buy, and everyone would come in and be like, why would I spend $23 on this movie here <laughs> when I could buy it at Best Buy for $19? Well, And we'd be like, you're welcome to do so. But you're here. But we have the largest collection of Dragon Ball Z oh. anywhere. So depending on what you want. <laughs> so you got all those, those um, the ball heads. Yeah, we get the ball heads. The Z heads? The Z heads? <laughs> dragon heads? They probably would go with dragon heads if you like let them pick. I feel like the coolest part of, <laughs> of the title <laughs> is dragon, but ball heads feels like very oh, yeah. not the You know one. me. I'm a real ball head. <laughs> Got all my Goku. Uh, that's the extent of my Dragon Ball Z knowledge is the name Goku. I think that's right. I hope that's right. I think right. it is. I think that's true. Look, we got an episode to get to. So true. But anyway, I brought up Suncoast because we also had a lot of WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Stuff, so people would come in for that a lot. And I think you're right. People would try to burst their bubble all the time by being like, you know, it's not real, right? And they'd be like, that's what I like about it, actually, <laughs> yeah. is the shit they come up with. Yeah. Fake disputes and all that stuff and so yeah it was uh it's cool to know more about it and have a little more appreciation for it i guess yeah now. but yeah. uh but yeah didn't know shit so sorry if i mess up all my wrestling terms. right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah today we have a story about rob black lizzie borden and william the messiah welch and this was suggested by ann simon on instagram so thank you ann this yes. was a good story idea this thank you ann wild so, the year is 2002. Ooh. Nickelback's How You Remind Me is the hit song oh, on the radio. <laughs> Joe Millionaire is eating up the ratings. Ugh. And The Rock is still a wrestler. Wow. His movie career, no one had even dreamed of it yet. Yeah. Can you can you smell what he's cooking? That was <laughs> exactly. the only question we had about The Rock. That's all we had for him. Um, and in general, you know, the world of independent pro wrestling is thriving. And then one of the weirdest stories in Southern California wrestling history happens. William the Messiah Welch, formerly part of Extreme Pro Wrestling Promotions, is attacked inside his home. And the guys who did it were never caught, but William was sure they were sent by his former boss, Rob Black. So this story takes us into the world of shock pornography. So please be aware we're going to be talking about material that depicts Rape, religious blasphemy, ingesting really, really gross bodily fluids, etc. You know, it's yeah. pretty gross. Language, so, all the language. A lot of language, a <laughs> lot of language. Many yeah. porn titles that I had to include because they were too funny to yep. leave out. But anyway, just a heads up if you're out there right. um, listening with your high schooler or something. Maybe this is not, maybe not this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think we should just get to it. Yes, uh, let's get ready to rumble. 
Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So... Rob Black's real name is Rob Zakari. He grew up in Rochester, New York. Hey, Shout out. Hometown. Well, where I was born. <laughs> hometown. <laughs> hometown for like six months. <laughs> Woo. Shout out garbage plates. They're delicious. Yeah, there you go. Um, so his dad, uh, Rob Zakari's dad, actually ha- opened the very first adult bookstore in Rochester. Um, in the 60s and 70s, and he had like over 200 at some point. He had ties to gangsters. He directed adult movies like, for example, Backside to the Future. Okay. So. <laughs> Look, there's some clever porn names out there, but you just, whatever. It's fine. It's all right. It's not the best is what I'm saying. <laughs> Eli's sending notes to Mr. Zakari now. <laughs> Backside to the Future. Like, you could do better Come on. <laughs> so anyway, Rob very literally grew up. Backdoor to the future is better, to be oh, honest. Backdoor to the future is better, actually. <laughs> well, it's too late now. Where well. were you in the 60s slash 70s? <laughs> so anyway, Rob very literally grew up in the adult business. When he was a kid, he was in charge of sorting the quarters from the peep show booths into rolls. And whatever didn't fit into the $100 box, he got to keep. So he talked about like going to the batting cages as a kid with $80 worth of quarters. Damn. Was that his like payment? like the richest kid in the world. Maybe. Is that, was that his fee? Like, roll these quarters and you keep whatever's left over, kid. Probably. Wow. And at first, he kind of envisioned for himself, like, moving away from the adult business. He was going to go to college. He's going to work for the FBI. But then he discovered how much cops got paid. Ooh, <laughs> so yeah. he changed his mind real quick. And at 18, he started managing the Rochester store. But unbeknownst to Papa Zakari, he also secretly financed and filmed his first pornographic film, which he called Tenderloins. <laughs> and that came out in 1996 when Rob was only 19. Oh, okay. So he's sneaking around on, you know, he's like, dad won't let me get into the business yet, but I'll make him proud. Right. He's going to make my own. Which is weird because he's like doing it himself. So I'm like, I wonder if he had a little bit of like, he also hoped that his kid wouldn't be in the business or something yeah. like that. But yeah, it, of course... He was. <laughs> I'm doing this, son, so you don't have to. <laughs> don't end up like me. Owning 200 video stores. Right, I know. So this caused something of a rift between Rob and his father when his dad found out that he had directed a pornography film. He was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck are you doing? And Rob decided to move out to L.A. and create his persona, Rob Black, a loudmouthed provocateur. Which isn't very creative. They still have the same exact first name. I know. First of all, Zakari is a cooler name than Zakari is way cooler. First of all. Second of all, I think it's strange that his dad, like, raised him in the business, mm-hmm. gave him a job, like, counting the quarters and stuff, like, surrounded his son with this, yeah. and then was like, how dare you get involved? How dare you make a movie of your own? Mm-hmm. Uh, I forbid it. To the point where he chased him away. It's like, what are you trying to do here? Right. Maybe he wasn't trying to protect him. Maybe he was trying to stop competition before <laughs> it started. Just, just, <laughs> he's like, how dare you try to cut into my profits? Yeah, right. You only keep what I don't want. You go to the West Coast, kid. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, he told Reason Magazine that the major difference between Rob Black and Rob Zakari was, quote, I have bad taste. But Rob Black has even more bad taste. 
Again, not much of a difference. <laughs> the, the, the character work here, I feel like lacking. this porn director isn't really putting enough work into his character development. It's it's lacking is what it is. It feels like somebody who's like, I know I already have like a really annoying personality, so I'm just going to tell everyone it's a character I'm <laughs> so that it's more acceptable. That's a good move. Yeah, everyone who hates me, uh, that's just a character I've been playing. Right. You'd actually love the real me. <laughs> So by 23, um, out in L.A., Rob was working for a porn production company called Elegant Angels, and his videos were winning multiple awards um, until he formed his own company, Extreme Associates. Oh, Extreme Associates. I love the, like, party and business vibe that puts together. Like, we're associates, but we're extreme. So at this point in pop culture, it's the late 90s and like shock value is where it's at, right? These days were uh, interesting, for sure. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You had a like Slim Shady and Marilyn Manson out there just shocking everyone. (gasps) Tipper Gore's getting all mad about it and she's putting parental discretion labels on everything. Uh Uh, South Park is out here freaking out parents nationwide. Girls Gone Wild was everywhere. Uh, websites like Rotten.com, remember? Just horrific stuff. Those were popping up. You could see everything from, like, animal snuff to gruesome crime scene photos. Mm-hmm. I had I, friends that got into this, and I too. could no. not ever. No. I, I could not handle, like, hey, you want to see this video? A guy dies. Right. You could see the life come out of his eyes. I'm like, I'm not, no. Why? I knew I without looking that? at it that that was a absolute no for me. That was, yeah. I didn't like most of this stuff. I I did like I did love Slim Shady, but otherwise, I was not really into most of this <laughs> shock shit. And then you had horror movies like chopping up young women all the time. Mm. Hollywood depicted all kinds of unsavory stuff, from prostitution to drug use to sexual assault. So Rob decided, you know, I'm going to incorporate similar elements into my pornography. Mm-hmm. This is what's hot right now. Everybody's into it. Might as well put it in porn. He told Reason, "quote." The concept was doing something that nobody was doing. It wasn't just sex acts. It was the plot lines. We did movies about drug dealers and pimps, about murderers and thugs and rapists. My notion was always, why can't porn be like Hollywood? It's all fake. It's a movie. At some point, he was like, we were making real stuff and everyone else was making jerk off stuff. And I was like, well, isn't that the point, though? <laughs> right. <laughs> to make jerk off stuff. It's well, a anyway. weird world to like kind of hover in between. Yeah. I'm like. Well, did you just want to make movies? You just wanted to include sex in them, real sex? Mm-hmm. You know, because you can't do that. <laughs> but he's well, like, well, I want to make everything Hollywood's doing. I just want to be able to have real sex in it. It's yeah. kind of more like the angle he was taking. So he pretty much alienated a lot of the porn industry as soon as he got into the scene. Because most of the pornographers who had been in the business through the 80s and early 90s had dealt with federal obscenity crackdowns that had cost them millions of dollars in seized cash and assets, business closures, legal fees. Although, ironically, the Adam and Eve founder, Peter Harvey, said that he actually made more money during all his legal troubles in the 80s because the crackdowns eliminated a lot of his competition. Oh, damn. So kind of funny that he's like, oh, I'm paying $3 million in fees, but my business is only growing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, must have been a mixed signal for him. Well, you wonder <laughs> if like big businesses don't kind of feed that a little bit because they're sure. like, we can survive the lawsuits. But all these little businesses that are growing up right now that oh, might yeah. be competition later, they'll get crushed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Keep them coming. Bring it. Bring it on. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. 
Um, You know, of course, Hustler founder Larry Flint faced his famous trial for obscenity in 1988, um, mostly for similar content to what Rob was doing, graphic depictions of naked women being raped, strangled, beaten, and murdered. Um, So that was kind of the big problem with Larry Flint was that he was showing really violent stuff in his magazines and Gloria Steinem did a whole thing and she was like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> Why is right. he making this this stuff? He's promoting violence against women. So some of the bigger names in the porn industry felt like Rob was playing with fire that could end up burning them all. You know, don't bring a lot of negative attention okay. to us right now by doing the worst things that we're getting in trouble for. Mm-hmm. Greg Beto for Reason Magazine wrote, quote, virtually every producer of commercial consequence scrupulously obeyed a set of unwritten guidelines. Urination, defecation and rape and incest themes were all taboo and bondage videos could not show penetration. Hmm. And for a while, the feds laid off of them. But Rob was all about showing all those things and more. And again, this country at the time, super into being shocked. Uh For example, in one of the top grossing rom-coms of 1998, if anyone out there remembers like we do, Cameron Diaz styled her hair with Ben Stiller's semen. Yep. Like, you know, that was a whole, we were all slapping our knees to that one. (laughs) That was a wide release. (laughs) So Rob's porn was really popular. He was even awarded a Best Director statue in 1998 at the AVN Awards, which are also known as the Oscars of Porn. Ugh, I'm sure the glam is the same. Roll out the red carpet. Just don't turn on the black light. Oh, gross. <laughs> gross. <laughs> so that same year, a 21-year-old woman named Janet Romano was just breaking into the porn business. In a 2002 interview with Janelle Brown in Salon Magazine, she describes a childhood being physically beaten by her mother, who was herself beaten up by Janet's alcoholic stepfather. So just a very volatile, violent, horrible situation at home. So she moved in with her grandparents um, when she was 12, and they were pretty conservative. But once she was 18, she went on a scholarship to a community college. She was on her own for the first time, and she started getting into raves, which meant she got into a lot of drugs. Um, She got in pretty bad drug addiction to cocaine. She started working as a stripper. And she says in the Salon interview that she fell for the porn actress Jill Kelly at this time, with whom she had her first kiss. And at some point, some porn actress, it might have been Jill Kelly, it might have been someone else, kind of impressed upon Janet how much money could be made in the porn business as an actress. So she's like, okay, I'm interested. And she started out in 1998 performing as Mia Michaels. And apparently she took her mother with her to her very first... (laughs) porn shoot. Okay. Um, They had reconciled over her terrible abusive childhood because they had a shared drug addiction. Oh, man. They kind of bonded over that, I guess. Oh, that's tough. But anyway, so she was basically like, all right, mom, you need to come with me and sit outside the door uh, (laughs) while I do this porn shoot Um, because she was afraid. She's like, I didn't know the industry and I was young, so I thought they might hurt me if they didn't think there was someone around waiting Uh, for me. I mean, it's not 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 a stupid thought. Not a stupid thought. Yeah, Um, not at all. But it's also very, um, I think, indicative of her mind state of like how people treat her out in the world. Right. Like very ready to be harmed. Yeah. And then she got a job at Extreme Associates. Um, (laughs) And not long after she got involved there, she started dating Rob Black. She told Salon, quote, 
Rob can't be with a woman who does porn. He comes from a Catholic Italian family. So she stopped acting and started assisting on set instead, trying to convince him to let her direct. The, no. the line is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, also his dad directed porn. I guess his mom wasn't an actress, though. But yeah. still, I mean, y'all are all up in this business. <laughs> you want to act like you have some morality here? Look, you can direct people to be having sex on camera, mm-hmm. but you can't be having sex Don't on you camera. Do it. God doesn't like that. <laughs> but he doesn't mind if you make other people do right, it. Right, right, right. That's just business. And profit off of it. That's, That's the associate's okay. part. <laughs> That's the associate's part, yeah. <laughs> God's okay with the associates, not so much the extreme. There's a thick line between those words. <laughs> so he didn't want her direct because he thought that women didn't make good porn directors because they just made lovey-dovey stuff, quotes. Okay. <laughs> but Janet insisted that she was fucked up and could come up with just as crazy shit as anyone. Mm. So together they invented this character called Lizzie Borden. And as Janelle Brown put it, she was, quote, the twisted mascot slash mistress of the most horrific films in the extreme catalog. Lizzie took it as a challenge to be as much of a man about hardcore stuff uh, as as the other guys were. Mm-hmm. Her words. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I can be a man. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. And boy, did she come through. Mm-hmm. Gary Beto writes, quote, Their videos are products of a jaded, hyper-mediated era. Explicit porn coupled with the -the over-the-top gore of slasher movies and the stunts and gross-out spectacles of reality TV. In the extreme universe, women drink viscous... Excuse me. (laughs) Women... I'm going to need a second to get through this one. In the extreme universe, women drink viscous cocktails of semen, spit, vomit, and other bodily fluids. Ha! I can barely get through that sentence. Dead fish are considered sex toys. U.S. Marines save a female reporter from Osama bin Laden, then rape her themselves after cutting off bin Laden's head. That's all a quote. That's that's obviously too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not very wholesome stuff, right? No. Though there were some holes. Oh. hey Wholesome. Because of holes. holes. They don't call it hole full. Hole full content. Co- hole full content. <laughs> Not wholesome. No. Hole full. Hole full. Full of holes. <laughs> so Rob told Vice UK that around this time, one of the major pro wrestling promoters, ECW, started dabbling in hiring porn actresses as wrestling valets. Mm. And so they kind of were like, ooh, this is a perfect opportunity for us to expand, you know, expand our business. Yeah. We got porn actresses all day. Get the associates in here. <laughs> <laughs> and so they formed Extreme Pro Wrestling, or XPW, in 1999. However, I did see another source that said that XPW already existed and they were trying to seal like a partnership deal with ECW. But then ECW said, no, we're going with TNN. We're going to have a cable deal. They don't like they wouldn't like us being associated with a porn company. Okay. So not really sure uh, which is true. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But the whole industry of pro wrestling was really leaning into the counterculture at this point. Because, again, shock is where it's at. Even the WWF, now, of course, the WWE, the big name, the the Walmart of wrestling, (laughs) even they did bra and panties matches and like other edgier content that they dubbed their Attitude Era. Mm. 
And Rob and Lizzie both wrestled as well. Lizzie played an evil snobbish heel or villain character called the boss's wife. And she was like her main thing was slapping girls around and okay. stuff like that. They, yep. She would feud with the other lady valets right, and stuff like right. that. And she was the valet and manager for another very popular heel in their lineup named William Welch, who is also this episode's side piece. Let's go. So William Welch's first match was in November of 1999, and he lost that match. But a few weeks later in December, he debuted the persona he would be most well-known as, the Messiah. He quickly became one of the most despised villains and celebrated wrestlers in the whole XPW docket. By 2001, he held both the XPW King of the Deathmatch Championship and the XPW Heavyweight Championship, as well as the title of leader in XPW. He's like crushing it. Yeah, they're like, this is the year of the villain. This guy's mm-hmm. winning all the matches. I love that the Messiah is their villain. Right, right. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm not for all this trashy shit. I'm G- right. I'm Jesus. Or so he came in as like the pure one. He was like trying yeah. to beat everybody up for I, being gross. I think so. Because okay. originally, apparently he debuted as Jesus, but he hated that. He was <laughs> yeah. like, I will not be Jesus. That's too much. <laughs> um, he was like, you can call me savior or the Messiah. Okay. And they went with the Messiah, which I think is a good choice. Yeah. Messiah yeah. is a good wrestling name. Yeah, for sure. Now, he loved his XBW family, and he said that Lizzie and Rob were some of his best friends. He would have been cheering on Rob in April of 2001 when Rob ran for mayor of Los Angeles as a publicity (laughs) stunt, which, by the way, gained him 789 votes. Okay. It's not nothing. Probably all, like, extreme associates and their fans. (laughs) Right. I guess so. I I can't imagine that there is, like, some stranger out there who was like, yeah, this guy. Look, uh, I've been surprised by elections before, let's just say. so. Good Lord. And um, ain't that the truth. (laughs) ProWrestlingStories.com writes, quote, Many fans believed that the Messiah would be XPW forever, but everything would change just three months into his double championship reign. And we'll get into those months right after this break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, 
more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome back to round two. Ooh. Do they do rounds in pro wrestling? I assume so. Yeah, sure. I don't know. So XPW had a big match coming up in August 2001 with Rob Black and the Messiah facing off against two other wrestlers named Sabu and Josh Lazy. <laughs> I, love, I love Josh Lazy. That's my oh. wrestling name. Uh, <laughs> totally. Ladies and gentlemen, weighing in at 175 pounds, it's Josh Lazy. Uh, is he coming? Is he? Uh, has anybody seen Josh Lazy? And they have to wheel out to like put two recliners in the ring, uh-huh. and they're just throwing shit at each yeah. other. Don't, <laughs> don't make me get up. Yeah, don't make me get up. I don't want to. I really don't want to get up. <laughs> I feel lazy today. Somebody go over and smack that guy. <laughs> that would actually be hilarious, honestly. I would watch that. Yes. <laughs> I guess it would be very exciting. But if you had like a clown, like clowns in a circus, if you had like right. a clown match in a wrestling yes. thing this where is what... it was two recliners, then I'm in. They should really call us in. They need more sketch comedy in, in pro wrestling. You're so right. No, oh, that's you're so that's right. in right now. Give us a ring-a-ding. Ding. It's not about the shock value anymore. It's about about total absurdity, <laughs> nonsense, maybe some prop comedy. <gasps> prop comedy. Yeah, squirting, squirting flowers. Oh my god! And buzzers. Come like on. a rubber chicken. Yes. Oh, I would get very into this wrestling world. <laughs> Let's start our promotions. Clown wrestling, <laughs> extreme clown wrestling. <laughs> yes. Josh Lazy versus Billy Honk Shoes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Billy Hongshu's is a very different energy to me than Josh Lazy. Well, he's a lot more clownish. Right. You step on his feet and his shoes go. Do, is he on one of those unicycles the whole time? Like going round and no, round it's a little, little mini recliner. bicycle. A little tiny I bicycle. Love that. Yeah. yeah. This is amazing. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave and work on this show. So y'all look up the rest of the story. I don't know what happened. No, just kidding. We wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> So, yeah, they have this match going. If Rob and the Messiah win this match, mm-hmm. 
Sabu would lose his job and be kicked out of XPW forever. Damn, high stakes. High stakes. So yeah, it was like a pretty big crowd wanted to see this. It was like a whole big deal. But when the event started, it began with a video of the Messiah. And he comes out and he tells Rob Black, I'm sorry, man. I can't wrestle with you today. I have to go back to heaven. Oh, <laughs> call- so, my shift is up. I know, right? They're calling me home. I'm like, with the Messiah flake on a friend like that? <laughs> what kind of savior is that? Damn. So anyway, Rob had to go on with a different wrestler and they won the match and Sabu was kicked out. But everyone in the arena could tell that it wasn't really William Welch in the video. Oh. So they were like, oh, well, this isn't some fun kayfabe, which is what they call like a, a staged thing that everybody mm-hmm. pretends is real. And it right. usually leads to some fun dispute later, or yeah. some big surprise later or something. Um, so they were like, well, this isn't a kayfabe because otherwise it would have been really the Messiah. Something right. must have gone down behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so people were really curious. And rumors started flying that a week before the match, Rob had found out that William had slept with Lizzie Borden. And so he immediately fired him from XPW. Wow. And like cut this fake video to explain it. Okay, okay. Mm. Now, at first, William totally denied this affair. And SoCal Uncensored ran an article about the rumor. And he actually contacted them to ask them to take it down. And he agreed to do an interview only a week after he was fired. He told them that he had been going through some personal stuff and that caused him to miss some practices and matches and that, quote, Rob Black tried to help me as much as he could. But William just wasn't being very reliable, so they had to let him go. Hmm. So he's saying in that one, just like, you know, standard firing stuff. No, no bad blood. There was no affair. None of that. Mm -hmm. But William wasn't. Oh, sorry. In that interview, he seems to agree with his firing and wonder if he even had a future in wrestling. But by September, he was wrestling with Millennium Pro Wrestling, MPW, and he appeared in events all over Southern California. And meanwhile, XPW is kind of fucking up. Oh. Um, they had a New Year's Revolution event in January 2002. It pissed off a lot of fans because they promised all of these surprises that would, quote, change wrestling history. Yeah, okay, sure. But whatever was supposed to happen, like, probably fell through or something because mm-hmm. all they did was bring, like, a couple homeless guys into the ring. And so oh. all the fans were like, mm, That's weird. I've been on <laughs> Rotten.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen this. This ain't shit. It's 2002. You can't shock me. Right. <laughs> I'm so desensitized. And then they also promoted a buck naked match between Lizzie Borden and Veronica Kane in which the loser would be stripped naked. And so these are two porn actresses that people had seen perform. You know, so they were like, oh, yeah, probably all excited to see some titties. Oh, we can finally see these porn actresses naked. I know. Like, Got to get down to the arena. <laughs> Got to get down there. <laughs> But when the time came to do the actual stripping, the lights were dimmed so much that the fans couldn't really see anything. So they did, They were booing and super pissed about that. And they were like, where's the titties? Um, even though they probably shouldn't really have expected to see any real nudity. I mean, right. you know, that seems like a uh, something you would definitely go, okay. Sure, you know, right, it, right. you'll have pasties on or something. Or they'll probably dim the lights. Right, or know, they'll yeah. dim the lights. Now, now where can I see these two women naked? <laughs> it's kind of like when I went, <laughs> I got taken to see the Full Monty musical uh-huh. um, for one of my birthdays. Right. And there's a the scene where they take their clothes off and they got their dicks out. 
they silhouetted them. You know, they had all the lights behind and you mm. couldn't see anything. Right. And I, some people were mad. And I what? was like, who were you really expecting to see dicks <laughs> in this musical? Like, come on. <laughs> no. But all these stunts they were doing and promises they were making and breaking was just sort of isolating their fan base. Mm. And in addition to these fan problems, Extreme Associates, XBW's parent company that produced pornography, had accepted an invitation to be filmed for PBS Frontline for a documentary called American Porn. Mm -hmm. They wanted to shoot a behind-the-scenes, making-of kind of thing, so Rob told Vice UK that he came up with a deliberately provocative storyline. Of course, that's that's Rob. He's like, I want to shock them as much as I can. Right. Um, and this would depict multiple women being raped, beaten, spat on, and murdered by a serial killer who then is himself murdered by a mob of vigilantes. Mm-hmm. The movie was called Forced Entry, and Lizzie would be directing it. The PBS crew gets there and starts doing their documentary thing, and they found it all too hard to watch and ended up walking out in disgust. In the documentary, they asked Rob if he was worried about a federal obscenity charge, and Rob said, quote, We've got tons of stuff they could technically arrest us for. I'm not out there saying I want to be the test case, but I will be the test case. I would welcome that. I would welcome the publicity. I would welcome everything to make a point in, I guess, our society. Sounds like he really planned this he one out ahead of time. He was thinking ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I make a point in society something. about something. We live in a society. Damn it. <laughs> Well, that quote certainly drew the attention of the federal government. Mm -hmm, (laughs) They took him right up on this challenge and started investigating extreme associates in the spring of 2002. You literally said, welcome into my house. I've done tons of illegal things they could arrest Mm. me for. I dare them to. Uh, Okay. Okay, we'll come do our jobs. Sure, thanks for daring us. I know, I guess it's pretty cool to know exactly where to look next. (laughs) So on top of all of that, Another wrestling promotion was getting started called Epic. A guy named Gary Yap was doing it. He was a big XPW fan. He got this going with a couple other wrestling managers who had previously worked with XPW. William Welch, the Messiah, was meant to be one of their featured wrestlers. And one of their first matches featured several wrestlers who had also performed with XPW. So XPW sent Epic letters saying that if any of their wrestlers performed with Epic, they would no longer be a part of XPW. Oh, okay. And most of the wrestlers chose to stay with XPW, which makes sense because, of course, we're talking about a new promotion. So they were probably like, well, I'll stick with the one, the tried and true. Mm -hmm. But in June, at Epic's debut show, the wrestler New Jack, who had previously headlined with XPW, trashed Rob Black and XPW. He called them, quote, porn-making, dick-sucking motherfuckers (laughs) who made, quote, generic-ass, booty-ass fuck movies. (laughs) I'm thinking that the generic-ass was probably the most insulting thing to Rob Black about all that. He was like, generic? I literally have the feds up my ass right now. (laughs) This ain't generic, sir. I got got the feds so far up my ass, I'm going to make a movie out of it. (laughs) It's going to be called the... the, uh, going to be called the Federal Raiders uh, of the Lost Arse. Oh. The Department of Just Fist. Oh, that's pretty good. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Department I missed my calling. Just Fist. <laughs> <laughs> now, New Jack also mentions in this promo 
that the Messiah gave Lizzie, quote, the ding dong, which is so funny. After all his <laughs> cursing, he was like, but I won't say cock or like something. And later on, the crowd chanted, you fucked Lizzie. And the Messiah was out there and he replied, she loved it. Oh. And so many took this as a confession that the rumors were true. Mm. Although I have to say, if you're like in the middle of a ring with a lot of people screaming, you fucked someone, wouldn't you just be like, I mean, is that the time to be like, no, I really didn't. Like, let me tell you all the circumstances. <laughs> right, yes. You probably, you know, you're trying to rile them up. Yeah, And exactly. so you would say, yeah, she fucking loved it. It'd be terrible showmanship to say anything else. I know, which I do hate, though, because, of course, men do that all the time. would be like, I didn't well. fuck that girl, but I'm going to tell everyone I did. And guess who they're going to believe for some yeah. reason. But yeah. still, I was like, I don't know. That sounds a lot like just wrestling talk you know yeah, just you're in the ring and you're in a fictional setting yeah. like the world you exist in right now nothing is, is real, real. Mm-hmm. it's like when we go into speculation station yes, you know totally. we can call out the most wild accusations i could be in speculation station and say the messiah definitely fucked lizzie borden <clears throat> and uh and 30 other people at the same time <laughs> uh on the top of the chrysler building wow in sub-zero temperatures and i would believe it yeah well you but I'm in Speculation Station, so you right. absolutely shouldn't. I know. <laughs> you should <laughs> know. Right. <laughs> That's totally false. So XPW and Epic were in something of a cat fight here, right? You mm-hmm. can't have my wrestlers. They mm-hmm. can't. If they go to you, they They're can't gonna come back. They're going to talk shit about you. Right. But it's a little hard to know how real any of that was. Right. So much of wrestling was setting up fake disputes to build matches around. And Rob Black particularly wanted to be, quote, more hated than Vince McMahon which is quite a task. Yes. (laughs) So he might have eaten up all this free epic publicity. Mm -hmm. But then XPW held an event in July 2002 called Baptized in Blood that they wanted to be their biggest thing in their whole history because they were announcing that they were moving to a new arena. So they gave out a bunch of free tickets to fill up the stands and a couple of these free tickets were claimed by none other then William Welch mm-hmm. and a couple of his friends, the Messiah himself. And like he didn't cause any trouble or anything. He just sat and watched it. But the match went pretty badly. Um, the wrestlers kind of lost the crowd quickly. Fans in the audience started batting around a beach ball <laughs> um, <laughs> until XPW security caught it and popped it. What? And they hated that, of course. They were like, they kept chanting, beach ball, beach ball. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they took the beach ball side. Know, right? They were like, how dare you? We're having fun with that. Right. And then Lizzie Borden got on the mic and called them all a bunch of, quote, beach ball loving Gay slurs. I'm not going to say that. Although, you beach ball loving motherfucker is like a great insult. <laughs> that I'm going to start using that. If she didn't say the gay slur, it would have been pretty yeah. funny. But, <laughs> but yeah, she. So that's kind of weird that they were like losing the crowd. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to call them a terrible name that they'll yeah. But I mean, it's again, it's wrestling. So I was like, maybe they would have liked that and laughed at it. You never know, it's I guess. Hard to say. Anyway, apparently this show became known forever after as the beach ball show. <laughs> <laughs> And the Messiah and his friend Sick Nick Mondo, they left before the crowd got too riled up. They kind of missed a lot of the headliner stuff about the beach ball or Mm -hmm. whatever. But Rob Black heard that he'd been in the crowd and he was reportedly furious about it. And I kind of wonder if it was less about, oh, you know, this guy I don't like is in my my arena uh-huh. and more about like, oh, he's in my arena when something really embarrassing happened that maybe like right. incompetent and right. like I'm on my way down. Yeah. Yeah. So 11 days later on August 1st of 2002, 
William was sitting in his living room playing a video game when two guys walked into his house. At first, William thought they were just friends of his roommates and he even said, hey, what's up guys? And they said, what's going on, man? And so he just kept playing video games until he saw in the TV reflection that they were pointing at him and conferring together in low voices. Suddenly, they jumped him. And of course, William is a pro wrestler, so he's not the easy guy to take down. They're doing a real wrestling in this living room. And eventually, these, these guys are big dudes themselves. Right. You don't send two scrawny kids to take down the Messiah. Yeah. And they managed to pin him down to the ground. They pulled out a pair of gardening shears and they cut off William's thumb. Ouch. He said it, quote, popped right off. Uh, wrong. I think that's a terrible word. <laughs> Your thumb should not pop right off. That is horrible. So he tried to escape, but he couldn't turn the lock on the door without his thumb, which is, <laughs> like I mean, a little comical, <laughs> a little funny. It, it's not. It's, it's horrible. Not, but but it's if if it were in a movie, I'm seeing um, Danny McBride playing this part and running <laughs> and trying to turn the deadbolt. God with damn no it! What thumb, the fuck? <laughs> and it's just squirting all over the door. And that's kind of hilarious. I mean, that is pretty funny. Well, oh. Again, what what is um, Mel Brooks says, oh, yeah. tragedy is I get a paper cut. Mm-hmm. Comedy is you fall down an open manhole. That's right. <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> so then they tried to like duct tape him up and cut off his other thumb. Damn. But William is still struggling. He was trying to save his gorgeous body, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to be killed. So his attackers... Hit him in the head with a fish tank. Oh, my God. Now, this is a very glancing reference to this in the article. They did not give very much information. And I thought it was so weird. Like, was the fish tank full of water and fish? Was it empty? Did they drop it on his head or, like, pull it down on him? I... the only way I can see this happening is that they pulled, they had him up against the counter that it was on, and, and they, they pulled it down on top of him. So it's like wet everywhere. Oh, yeah. Fish flopping around. Fish flopping. Glass all over the place. I mean, that paints me a picture. Now, let's put that in the article next time. <laughs> you could kill somebody like that quite easily. easily. All the glass? Absolutely. Oh my God. Well, just in a fish tank. I mean, I mean to we the got head. eight pounds a gallon for water, so that's oh, a lot. true, yeah. And then yeah. all the weight of the glass. If they had any rocks or decor. Oh, jeez. Mm, that's so true. No, thank you. So anyway, that dazed him enough. Obviously, as we said, don't get hit by fish tanks. That uh-huh. totally dazed him. And they started to pull off his belt. Uh, and so he's like, I don't know for sure if they were going for my penis to cut it off. But I mean, that's probably what they were doing. I would think so. But they could not get his pants off. So they continued to like hit him with furniture and they were apparently kind of stabbing at his leg and like sort of stabbed him once in the upper thigh just to try to knock him out and I guess finish the job. This was early 2000s. So I'm going to go ahead and guess that this was a braided belt, um, which are a pain in the ass Mm. uh, and I would never wear one. But if this happened to me, I would probably never wear anything but But that because I'd be like, that's a little more complicated to get the (laughs) thing out. That's true. You might get stuck a little more. He's probably like, thank God for this stupid belt being so hard to take Mm. off. (laughs) (laughs) I never even thought of that, but you're so right. So, yeah, they're like trying to knock him out. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who gets hit in the head for a living. So that didn't exactly work. And they finally gave up and they ran off and fled into the night. So the attackers didn't take anything from the house except for William's thumb. So authorities were pretty certain that they had come there specifically to assault William and probably took his thumb as proof that they'd done the job, or at least part of it. Mm -hmm. And William was pretty certain they'd been sent there by Rob Black. 
Only 30 days after this, he wrestled at an event for Combat Zone Wrestling, or CZW, and told the crowd to tune in to America's Most Wanted in September to get a pretty good idea of who was behind the attack. The episode took it for granted that Rob was the culprit. They even went to Extreme Associates' offices to confront Rob Black for the show, but all they found were locked doors. I guess they didn't have their thumbs. Couldn't unlock <laughs> they them. couldn't operate it. <laughs> no charges were ever brought against anyone for this attack. Now, Rob was asked about this incident in Vice UK in 2014, and he told them, quote, Wrestling is never what you believe. We had people who bought into the story and got publicity out of it. But I was like, but the guy's thumb is actually missing, yeah. not fake missing. Right. So, like, I feel like we still want some answers. What is this? He lose it in a construction accident and then right. was like, hey, guys, we could probably make a good story out of this. Right. He was like, I was at home playing video games and somehow sliced my own thumb off uh-huh. and decided to turn it into a whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. But um, and there is zero mention of the Messiah on either Lizzie or Rob's Wikipedia pages in many articles with them. Neither has ever commented on it. Although. Interesting. William Welch will continue to do. He still does interviews and it always gets brought up and he usually says about the same thing every time. So it's very interesting that they just never said a word about it Mm -hmm. since or scrubbed it off their pages, maybe or whatever. I don't know. But to be fair, they both had bigger fish to fry when Extreme Associates was raided by the federal government in 2003. So we'll find out more about their fight with the feds right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. 
And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to round three! Authorities seized five of their movies. And these are the titles of those five movies. <laughs> Brace yourself. Extreme Teen, Ass Clowns 3, Cocktails 2, Forced Entry, and, and number five, A Thousand and One Ways to Eat My Jizz. <laughs> That's too many ways. <laughs> How did that... <laughs> All right. First, you want to get your instant pot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. First. Now, All you right. have to refrigerate this for eight hours. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to work with a little confit. Oh, my God. <laughs> a thousand and one. <laughs> they were hit with multiple obscenity charges, and they were facing decades in prison and millions of dollars in fines. Of course... Rob and Lizzie were a little too bold to care. (laughs) They even rebranded and sold the five films as The Federal Five. (laughs) So for him, the issue didn't have a lot of logic. He argued to Vice UK that, first of all, Extreme Associates didn't distribute those seized films to video stores. You had to go to their website or call them to find it and order it specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's not like anyone was forced to watch this content or even stumbled onto it by accident. Further, he thought they didn't have a leg to stand on. Of the five films they seized, they only indicted them for three. He told Vice, quote, So either the grand jury said those two other movies weren't obscene, or the government didn't present those movies to the grand jury. And one of those movies was Ask Clowns 3, where Jesus comes off the cross after being crucified and rapes an angel. So now my question is, why is the rape in Ass Clowns all right, but the rape in Forced Entry isn't? Uh, So that's his question. What do you think? Religious (laughs) freedom? 
I, I mean, I don't know. It's a fair point. I mean, yeah. it's like, why, why is this one bad, but that one's not? Maybe the FBI was like, yeah, we seized three movies from him. Here you go. Watch them. And they just <gasps> oh, took the they other two home. They, they were like, listen, Ass Clowns is actually really good. I'm just going to take this one. <laughs> also, why is Ass Clowns the one where Jesus comes off the cross? I know, Y'all couldn't right? come up with a not, better. The like, title did not the, lead me to believe. Like the first temptation of Christ. Oh, right? there the, you go. The, the best temptation of whatever. I don't know. There's the some, fifth there's, temptation. <laughs> the fifth I'm really stuck on fist right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you're really freaking up fisting a lot. I'm stuck on a fist right now. <laughs> so one of the main problems seems to be that in forced entry, Lizzie starts the film by saying on camera that the woman starring in the movie doesn't know what's about to happen to her. Mm. So they kind of blur the line for the audience, at least, on the simulation part right. of all this assault and rape. And right, stuff. right. However, Rob says that that was all for shock value and show to to just make it more shocking to watch. Mm-hmm. The star of the movie was Veronica Kane, which is someone who they had worked with for years. Uh, he's like, she knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, she's like Lizzie's best friend. And, you know, she everything's cool. Don't worry. Um, and he also claimed that PBS Frontline's disgust was as staged as the porn itself. Because oh. he pointed out that, of course, they made sure to have a second camera unit standing by to film them walking out in disgust. Oh, when they stormed off of the set trying to make their documentary. Right. Yeah. So he was like, I mean, it's just, they're also staging for you yeah. a, a reaction to this that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily honest. Right. But yeah, he says in Vice UK, quote, the entire thing was staged. We had a wrestling company at the time and our job was to make things look real that were fake. And we made a lot of money doing it. Yeah. So, you know, he was like, it's all fake. Everyone involved knew it was fake. They even had a blooper reel, apparently, (laughs) 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 which is hilarious to me. But there was all the actors joking around and having a good time on set. (laughs) This girl's getting chained to a wall and she was like, no, no. Wait, wait, what is my line here? Oh, my God. I always forget. Or no, she goes. She's like, oh, no, fuck me. Oh, wait, wait. Oops, sorry. I shouldn't say fuck me because I don't want him to. Oh, my God. It's so stupid. Like, I said a line from the last movie that we just filmed 45 minutes ago. What can an I, idiot. Can I get another take? Can, can we Do, do take? we have time? All right. Oh, someone powder my nose. <laughs> now, at first, it looked like the law was going to agree with Rob. A circuit court judge dismissed the charges in 2005, saying that the right to privacy meant that anyone in America was free to view whatever material they wanted in the privacy of their own home. Mm-hmm. However, a year later, the Department of Justice appealed the decision and it was overturned. The argument was that, yes, the right to privacy means that people can watch whatever they want, but it doesn't mean anyone has the right to make the obscene material in the first place. Sure. So you can watch anything that's out there, but you can't make it. It's kind of like cannabis laws in Georgia. Ugh, just about to say it's that. like you can't get in trouble for having it, but you can get in trouble for growing it or bringing buying it here, it. buying <laughs> it, distributing it, right. anything like that. Which if it somehow magically appears in your pocket. <laughs> I you guess it's, it's a present from Jesus. <laughs> Rob Black appealed to a lot of porn's biggest names, including Larry Flint, for financial support during this dragged out legal process, saying he was standing up for all of them. But no one answered his call. And I've been wondering uh, if maybe he thought that when he first challenged the federal government to come to him. Like, oh, I'll just be the center of this big fight with the federal government versus the porn industry and the whole porn industry will have to have my back. Sure. And then they were like, no, we're not we're not getting sucked into that. We had a good thing going, buddy. Right. (laughs) 
I think you're right because he clearly was surprised that yeah. they were kind of like, oh, no, we don't actually care about preserving rape simulation uh-huh. and stuff. Like, if He's it like, was something else, maybe they would have been involved, but not right. that. He's like, all right, porn producers, assemble. <laughs> he looks around and it's just... Wow. Anybody? No. Nope. Oh. Disappointing. So since no one was coming to their aid and they couldn't really afford to continue their legal fees, Rob and Lizzie had to agree to a plea deal. XPW had already stopped producing events in 2003, and now Extreme Associates folded too. They each were sentenced to a year and a day in prison, although a clerical mistake, which listed Rob as a sex offender, meant that when he reported to prison, they threw him in solitary confinement for a month. Ooh, that's now that's fucked up. Yeah. And he was like, it was torture. You yeah. know, he's like, solitary is horrible. And he's not wrong. Solitary is fucked up. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, especially for a guy like Rob, who is so addicted to audiences. Like uh-huh. He's so wants a reaction from people that I wonder if he even knows who he is when he's alone. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So Rob and Lizzie made it through this whole federal fight, a year in prison, separated, and all this other crazy drama of their lives. They made it through all that together. But in 2013, they divorced. And I got to wonder what the final straw was. (laughs) Can we pull into Speculation Station? Sure. Do you have any thoughts? (laughs) Uh, She just, he just really loaded the dishwasher wrong. Wow. And that was it. That was it. (laughs) That was the most egregious thing he did. She's like, you put mugs in the bottom (laughs) rack. Are you insane? I'm out of here. No second chances. (laughs) All of our history is going in the trash. nothing. (laughs) So Lizzie now does horror burlesque. She sings in a band called Ghost in Your Heart with her boyfriend, maybe husband. I don't know. Uh, His name's Mark. William Welch had a pretty successful independent wrestling career. He was inducted into the CZW and SoCal Deathmatch Halls of Fame in 2019, but he's now retired from wrestling. He's married with children. Rob started a radio show that he says is a liberal answer to Rush Limbaugh. Oh, boy. And the Daily Beast said that he had, like, everyone in the pornography world riveted to his show for a good minute because he was spilling a lot of industry secrets about, like— mistreatment of actors and actresses or unsafe uh, practices on sets and stuff like that. That's an important thing to talk about. Totally. And I think I think that's cool that he was willing to do it. Um, He definitely was like the Internet ruined the industry. It's there's there's nothing here anymore. Um, But he was calling out a lot of like, you know, uh, not letting people wear condoms or like stuff like that. Like, so I was like, that's pretty cool that he's saying that. And there's definitely some people came out and said he's a liar and that's not true. Mm. And other people are like, thank God he's saying it. So, you know, who's to say except for people who do it? Not me. (laughs) And then he tried bringing back XPW in 2013, but it never took off. He never got the funding to get back to his. (laughs) wild and crazy wrestling days (laughs) Um, and now he is also married with children oh so everyone's fine in this story. They're all kicking out there, wow. kicking, doing stuff. That's rare for our I know, for right? Our show, no one especially died. for people who went through such extreme stuff. Yeah, uh, who were involved in such outrageous activities. Yeah, that the ending is kind of like, yeah, now they're all just kind of married with kids. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, hanging Interesting. out. Wow. Except and that's... for Lizzie, who said she wasn't sure she ever wanted kids. She hey. has dogs. Good hey. for you. Yeah, I get that. We have I dogs. get that. <laughs> so I want to go back to talking about something earlier when. 
Rob Black compared or sort of justified the making of his movies versus Hollywood movies where mm-hmm. he's talking about that they, you know, have rape scenes and, you know, extreme violence and decapitations and all kinds of crazy stuff you see yeah. in Hollywood movies and saying, you know, so why can't I include that in porn? And on one hand, I totally agree with him, uh, you know, that it's it's insane what we put in movies. And I watch I mean, I'm not a big I'm not a huge horror person. A graphic mm-hmm. violence isn't my favorite thing. Sometimes it works mm-hmm. for me, but um, but I, but go for it. You know, a lot yeah. of people love it, and I, I say go for it. But I think the difference is what you want the audience to be getting out of it, mm-hmm. because typically in Hollywood movies, if there is a scene of violence or a rape scene or something like that. You're meant to be kind of horrified. Mm-hmm. You're meant to be like, oh, I'm dis- I'm seeing disturbing images. I am disturbed. That was a this is a bad guy. You know, all of that stuff is sort of set up. Whereas the intention of the porn movie is more like I'm getting off to this. I'm I want to see right. this because I'm enjoying it. I'm getting something positive out of this. Yes. And I think that intention sort of matters. Absolutely. As opposed to I don't know. Maybe he's saying. Well, you're not supposed to get off to it. It's supposed to be just like a horror movie where you think it's fucked up and crazy and you like watching it, but you know it's bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's true, too. But then I'm like, well, just make a Hollywood But then it's movie. not porn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why is it porn? Yeah. Except just to be more extreme than horror or something? Right, I don't know. right. Well, and not I... to say that it shouldn't exist or he you know, shouldn't no. be making it or whatever, yeah. but I think equating the two is uh, is tough for me. Yeah. Because the intention is the difference. I think you're right. And that makes it a little thorny. Right. You know, because you're like... I'm all for freedom of expression, freedom of speech. I want people to make whatever. Right. But I mean, it's hard because, again, with this obscenity thing, that's the government being like any porn at all makes you into a total deviant and you turn into this perv. You know, and that's sort of yeah. Rob Black was like, I'm I'm only out here trying to get the whole porn industry behind me because it's not just me. They're just starting with me because I'm an easy target. Right, they'll come right. for you, too. Yeah. You know, they don't want any porn at all, even the lovey-dovey stuff that all mm. the ladies are making, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> so he was kind of saying that, like, it was a slippery, I hate this, but slippery slope. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, actually, Salon did ask Lizzie about this. Uh-huh. Salon is something of a feminist magazine. And so this author watched, uh, Janelle Brown did watch Forced Entry, and she was saying, you know, I'm watching it, and I I know that these are consensual acts. I know that these are actors who have had sex with each other dozens of times before in all kinds of movies and whatever. But she also said, quote, still, I was so traumatized by the movie that it brought me to tears. It was like witnessing a real rape. Seeing the nadir of man's contempt for womankind brought to life with no holds barred. So I could see that, too, even if you're aware that it's not meant to be, I guess, realistic is not the word because it is meant to be realistic. But anyway, you're you're supposed to understand that it is simulated. It's all fake. Yeah. But it's enough real that you have this reaction to it of like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with people watching this and being happy about it or getting any positive experience out of it. And it makes you feel unsafe as a woman, I guess, just out there in the wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, compare it to pro wrestling, right? Yeah, you see sure. a guy get hit in the face with a chair, mm-hmm. and you know that's staged, and they've done this. You know, they've got special chairs. They're doing it uh, in such a way that they've practiced. They know yeah. what they're doing. Um, but you're still like, oh, yeah, guy, you yeah. feel it. Yeah. You feel like I get hit in the face with a chair. Very true. Um, 
So I, I can see definitely why these lines blur and why they kind of cross industries a yeah. bit. Um, my other question about it is, you know, you've got the federal courtrooms watching these movies and being like, we need to prosecute for all this horrible stuff you're depicting. And, and, and even going so far as to say, you've got Lizzie Borden saying, this is real. They didn't know about this. Right. Well, I'm like, okay, so are these Oscar-worthy actresses in these right. things? Like, right, are you outperforming Monica Bellucci and Emily Blunt like in these mm-hmm. rape scenes and these porn movies that are just like, I can't tell what's real anymore because if they are, these actors should be getting wow. much better jobs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> just doesn't seem fair to me. I know. That's a good point, too. I, I mean, again, I think it was just through... Uh, a lot of like evangelicals pressure yeah. and and other just very family focused type groups and shit like that. They were just kind of like any sex is bad sex. Mm. But of course, these are not very sympathetic people. They're right. making rape simulations and all this gross shit and they're very easy to hate. And yeah. so everyone in the public will hate them and they won't be mad at us for maybe stepping on your American right to watch whatever the fuck you want at the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Um, Again, that's kind of what Rob was saying was he's like, I'm just saying they'll start with me and that's fine, but they'll get to you one day with your missionary sex (laughs) porn or whatever. And I will say Salon did ask Lizzie about this. Janelle writes, quote, this is the most disturbing aspect of her films. The fact that viewers watch these movies as a way of getting off. Right. What kind of person masturbates to the sight of girls being slapped, drinking their own vomit or being raped? Yeah. This is the only question that gives Borden pause. And then she goes on to say that she kind of brushes it off by insisting that really, quote, those creeps who get turned on by the violence in her films are actually being taught a lesson. She argues that many of her films are moral tales based on, quote unquote, real stories you might read in the news in which the bad guy or girl gets caught in the end. A bad alcoholic mother runs over her babysitter and her son and ends up slashing her wrists after having sex with assorted strangers first. Wow. The rapist in forced entry is murdered by a vigilante mob. A woman with a cheating husband leaves him in the end. Hmm. If you watch it and don't fast forward it, and if you think about it, you'll see there's a moral to it, Borden argues. Most of this is awareness. I try to show what could happen to you. Do this violent act and you're going to get fucked up. Instead of believing, as some do, that linking sex and violence encourages rape, she points out that people get turned on by violence against women in movies like Halloween or The Accused all the time. The only difference being that they don't actually see the sex. Yeah. Now, I did like that the serial killer also was murdered himself. Sure. I guess that's a satisfactory (laughs) end to that story, in a way. But um, I'm not sure that people are necessarily learning a lesson from that. I don't think so. I, I feel like that's a nice thing to make you feel better, but I, right. I don't know. Again, now, now we, we can't ignore that we're putting in this in context of a time where shock value was so huge. Right. And the idea, you know, this was before trending shit on the Internet. So mm-hmm. it was it was all like pass around word of mouth. Oh, have you heard about this crazy thing? I mean, early Internet, but not streaming yeah. HD video and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was... How far can I spread this content uh, in this world where it's hard to spread content? Mm-hmm. Uh, and being shocking was a way to do that. Yeah. So, so you could see how maybe it's not about 
This is not something to get off to. This is just something to make you bring up to someone else. Have you seen this crazy shit? Yeah. Have you heard of this? Oh, I got to show you this thing. It's the craziest thing you'll ever see. It's so fucked up. You know, not let's let's all go watch and jerk off to this movie, but like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what they did in this movie. Right. So it just becomes this sort of shock value, disbelief kind of thing mm-hmm. that was the way to reach more eyes and ears back then. Yeah. Um, it, Like we said, you saw it all over music you saw it over comedy mm-hmm. you saw it all over uh, everything yeah i mean yeah jackass they're like swimming in porta potties yeah and yeah on fear factor they're eating pigs rectums right and drinking blood and stuff so yeah i mean you can see why the line would be blurred for them yeah. particularly and be like i don't understand what the difference is right because right. for me it's all the same but for people who maybe did not grow up in this counterculture life in the adult business and stuff, mm-hmm. it feels like too far. And it's not like, you know, uh, Stanford is out here c- con- conducting studies about like mm-hmm. everyone who watches these movies and how many of them go on to murder and rape themselves. You know, yeah. is it influencing people in that regard mm-hmm. or or what? Because it's it's kind of like the violent video games argument. Right. How do you know? How do you know? And how do you know it would have been any different if they didn't have the violent video games? Right. I mean, that was the argument, too, is like, well, people have been killing people since the dawn of time. They didn't have no video games. (laughs) They just didn't like each other. Yeah. Period. So I don't know. I mean, I feel you. And especially because that variable is there, Mm -hmm. you can't take it out anymore. Right. So you can't really know for sure. Right. But, yeah, it's an interesting conversation, the obscenity thing and like yeah. what's what's too far in, in speech and depiction. And I mean, he has a good point, too, that it's not like they were like handing this shit out in the street or right. something like you had to go ask for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they could make it and never sell one. Yeah. But somebody came and asked for it. Yeah. And so they sold it. I don't know. Yeah. Is it more the user's problem then? I, I don't know. Which, of course, is way different now from the Internet, where it's like once you make it, it's available, it's available. to everyone, no yes. matter what you do. Right. You could say, I, you have to call me to get this video. Someone's going to call you, get it. And then now it's out in the world. Yeah. There's no seal. I mean, that that bubble is broken. Mm-hmm. That actually became a big thing for the case, apparently, later on in, in 09 and 10 and stuff. Yeah. Where he was like, the thing is, is that the, the whole thing was that the right to privacy is you're in your own home. And so nobody gets to tell you what you're watching. But they were kind of saying that lines got real blurred with the Internet because mm-hmm. you're still in your own home, but it's not just yours anymore. Right. Um. So it's kind of got blurred not only for the government, but for the porn producers saying, oh, well, now this is a little what can I do? What can't I do? Yeah. That's distributed online. You know, it just became like a real touchy kind of situation. Um, at that, especially in the early days of the internet, when obviously one of the first things we used it for was to figure out a way to jerk <laughs> off. Like that's where all of our technological advancements come from. It's either <laughs> how do we kill someone with this, uh-huh. or how do we make sexual gratification out of this? Yeah, all of our advances in science have been based around <laughs> those two things. Well, it's not often that I'm left without a strong opinion about something, mm-hmm. but I'm a little unsure of how to feel in the end of this one. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough about their case. I mean, their their romance interesting enough, you know. Mm-hmm. This whole Messiah thing. I guess he did sleep with Lizzie Borden. The fact that they were going to cut his dick off makes me feel like it was yeah. Rob Black very specifically being like, "You put your dick somewhere it wasn't supposed to be, so right. now I'm going to take it away." Right. But 
Who's ah, to say? Who's I don't say? know. I also don't get the impression that William Welch has like a ton of enemies or something. <laughs> so I was like, who else? That might be wise. He's like, there's only one guy mad at me right now. Right. And he's a guy who would know a bunch of big, strong dudes. That's true. And he it's pays true. them, so he would have paid them, and then they come over and fuck me up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I again, let me pull into speculation station and say, Rob Black definitely did that shit. <laughs> I think he definitely did that shit. Uh-huh. Even if William didn't fuck Lizzie, you know, he might have just been like, it's enough that people think it. Yeah. I like um, I like the shield for speculations. Uh, yeah. uh, excuse me, Your Honor, but I was in speculation <laughs> station, so that's not slander, it's actually. not doesn't count. <laughs> so let us know what you thought. Yeah. Uh, don't send us your porn, but send us Thank your thoughts. You don't. <laughs> uh, we'd love to hear from you, you know, about this episode, mm-hmm. about any episode, about episodes that we might do in the future. Right. Shoot us an email. Always. You know, uh, romance at iheartmedia.com. Right. Or we're on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. And uh, we are so excited to be bringing you more content later this week and forever on into the future. (laughs) Thanks again to Anne Simon for suggesting the story. It was definitely a really interesting dive into the whole obscenity case and everything else. There's just a lot going on with it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Anne. Thanks, Anne. And we will see you all at the next episode. Can't wait. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, 
know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.